Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. Rally cry. The idea of people coming together and passionately proclaiming that they will fight for a shared cause. A rally cry involves a sense of desperation as Gideon and his 300 men prepared to face a seemingly impossible battle, they gathered together and shouted a rally cry in desperation, knowing that the battle was the Lord's. A rally cry requires core values. These are the things we are fighting for, proclaiming, and the hills that we will die on no matter what comes. A rally cry requires togetherness. Together, we can commit to our core values that will rally us to stand up in a culture that seems to bow down to everything. Church, it's time for a rally cry. Yeah. Man, it's good to see you guys. Let me tell you, if you were not here, and you obviously weren't at the 9 o'clock service, it was crazy. We lost control of all of the lights in the room. We worshiped in total darkness. And then I did the message about halfway through in darkness, and then uh, God knew you were coming, so he turned the lights on. It was amazing. I asked the tech people, I said, what'd y'all do? And they were like, we have no idea. And so it was just kind of a crazy morning, but man, it has been a good, good morning, uh, and I hope that this is a blessing for you. Um, we are in a series called Rally Cry, and there's a reason for that. I don't know about you, but I grew up kind of, my life was centered around certain rally cries as a kid. For example, if you're a comic book reader or you like Marvel movies, um, you all know at the end of the movie Endgame, there was the rally cry for all the Avengers, and it was, Avengers! Assemble. There you go. When I was a kid, I played He-Man. Anybody? By the power of Grayskull, I... Thank you, you, you three right there. That's good. <laughs> Appreciate that. No, yeah. Um, uh, also, anybody remember this movie? Uh, they will remember forever the night they played the Titans. Anybody remember that? Uh, and then you can look into history a little bit. If you go down into the San Antonio area and you took Texas history, you know that there was a battle cry that came out of that area. Remember the? Alamo. Alamo, exactly. And then I love the movie Braveheart. I don't know if this is historically accurate, but it was awesome. <laughs> when William Wallace in that final battle, he goes, they may take our lives. I don't know if that's a good Scottish accent, but it's... <laughs> I like doing it. It makes me feel powerful. But they'll never take our freedom. Ah, so much better than 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock was like, freedom. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Man, oh, that was awesome. It is a rally cry. Now I want to take over the next, today's just an introduction to this. And then for five more weeks, we're going to talk about what we are rallying behind and why. These are the hills we'll die on. As believers and as Crossroads Church. And it's really geared towards two groups of people. And the first one is people who are currently in this room or watching online and you're not following God. And you know it. You don't have a relationship with God. Don't, I don't care how often you've gone to church or whatever, but you do not have a relationship with God. I'm aiming this, we are aiming this as a church at you. The second group and prevalent throughout this room are Christ followers who know Jesus but are needing courage to live for him. And right now, you just don't have the courage that you need. And so are aiming this at those two groups of people. Now, in order for you to understand where I'm going today, I need you to understand two currents that are kind of flowing through the Christian community. And if you pay attention to what's going on in the world, you pay attention to what's going on in the U.S., if you pay attention to a lot of pastors, teachers, all that kind of stuff, you'll see these currents being echoed through the world. To me, it's one of the ways that I can always, it's amazing to see how God, how, how much God is in, is in control of all things when God puts the same burden on a lot of people's hearts at the same time. And that's happening in our world today. So let me tell you the two things that are undercurrents. The first one's not good news. It's wreckage. That we live in a world right now where people go, man, this world's a mess. It's a wreck. It's a problem. And that's, that's one current that you see in the world. People look around and they go, oh, this world's worse than it's ever been. That's one current that's flowing through our world today. The second one is this. Revival. That the church... Historically, when, greatest, when, when undergoing greatest persecution, that is when the church for all of human history has risen to the challenge. 
And if you watch what's going on in the world, you watch what's happened even in our church over the last year, if you see what's happening in individual lives, if you watch what's happening uh, in college campuses and various places all over the world, revival is churning alongside this wreckage, and there is going to come a place where things coming to a head, and I believe we're in store for potentially the greatest, at least numerically, the greatest revival our world has ever seen. And the reason I say that is not to diminish previous ones. It's just that there are more people alive on the earth today at one time than there ever has been, and there's more access to them than there ever has been. And so we have an opportunity. But like I said, in order to get there, I'm going to cover two words, wreckage and revival. So it's going to start heavy because I want us to identify some stuff. Now, I'm going to read some, some facts. Now, when I read these facts, I want you to read these and understand these in the terms of the world that we live in and the situation that we find ourselves in. Do not hear sides, parties, or preferences. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have them. I know I do. But I am going to give you factual information. If you read other stuff into this, that's your choice. I'm going to give you information that we can identify with and go, yes, the world has a problem. And let me tell you, a lot of times as a church, we want to look outside and go, whoo, all those people out there are a problem. But I'm going to tell you, a lot of this is going to be in here we have a problem, in the church. And so again, don't hear me trying to push you to a leaning. I have them. That's a whole different conversation or series at some point. These are just facts. I'll start with some easy ones. I don't know if you know this, but in 2023, in the third quarter, the average new car payment in the U.S. reached $729 a month. And Texas is uniquely uh, gifted in that uh, we are the first state that regularly had people eclipse the $1,000 a month payment for vehicles. Those vehicles are gigantic trucks. <laughs> Anybody feel any economic pressure in the world today? Um, we see this all the time. If you have kids in childcare, it costs you all your money, <laughs> all of it. If you go to Starbucks and you want to get a mocha or a latte, it used to be like, hey, it's $3, and now you drive up and it's like, I'd like one black coffee, and be, that'll be $9.75. <laughs> it's crazy. Insurance through the roof. Healthy foods. People say, you need to eat healthy, but in order to eat healthy, you need a loan. It's a problem, right? Not only that, 66% of full-time employees in America claim they have no work-life balance, which is affecting their marriages, their parenting, their kids, their mission, every single part of their life. 41.9% of adults are dealing with obesity in the U.S. In the U.S., nearly 24 million children live in a single-parent home. 80% of those are mother-only households. And first of all, I thank God for women who are willing to step in and raise those kids. But guys need to step up, okay? 355,000 children are in foster care in the U.S. today. How many of you understand that Democrats and Republicans never agree? <laughs> I found something they agree on. 70 plus percent of all Democrats and Republicans agree on this that misinformation is increasing extreme political views and hate crimes in our world. In 2023, first marriages ended in divorce 35 to 50% of the time, second marriages 60 to 70% of the time. 10.2% of Americans 12 years of age and older, 12 and older, have alcohol use disorder. Daily, 385 Americans die from alcohol use alone. Worldwide, annually, three million. One in six Americans stopped going to church in the last 30 years. That was a, a number that I've heard before, but here's the shocking part if you do some deeper research, is it's not because of beliefs. We would think that it is. It's not because of behavior, although sometimes it is. The number one reason is there's no sense of belonging. They don't belong anywhere. 4,500 churches close annually. 38% of pastors want to quit. And I just tell you, I feel very blessed. I'm not one of them. I love where I'm at, and I love the church that I serve. 90% of teenagers, 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral about pornography with their friends. 64% of Christian men 
and 15% of Christian women say they watch pornography at least once a month. 22.8% of U.S. adults experienced mental illness in 2021. That was the last time they did the records. That's 57.8 million people, one in every five adults. From 1965 to 1980, 4.2% of the U.S. population identified as LGBTQ. Those born from 97 to 2003, that rose from 4.2% to 20%. And here's the thing that's startling to me about this, is last year, people in that community... Again, don't, don't listen to leanings or sides. I want you to listen to my words. Last year, people in that community, 45% considered suicide, 58% expressed depression, 36% said they had been threatened or harmed, and 50% have no religious affiliation because they do not feel welcome in a church. And I just tell you, man, that's a mission field. Gender dysphoria has led to many people transitioning genders, and of those that transition, 50% of them have considered or attempted suicide. In 2020 and 2021, detransitioning actually doubled from the previous year and is continuing to rise. 66% of churchgoers have not volunteered for ministry in the past year. The World Health Organization found something they declared more deadly than obesity and smoking 15 cigarettes a day. This was just released by the World Health Organization. That thing that they found was killing more people? Loneliness. In 2023, 43,000 people in the U.S. died from gun violence. And there were 627 mass shootings on U.S. soil. Major depressive disorder was the leading cause of disability in the United States for ages 15 to 44. That's 16.1 million Americans. In 2020, which is the last time this was taken, there was 930,000 abortions. Um, and while actually abortions are on the decline, support for abortion is rising. 27 million people are victims of human trafficking. And then if you get through all those stats, there's other things that we, that we hear about in our world. And honestly, in the church, we go, what am I supposed to do with this? When you look at like, do I support Israel or Palestine or all that kind of stuff? And everybody gets confused. Here's some truth that I want you to know just about things that have happened. Again, I'm not giving you leanings or political parties or sides. I'm just telling you facts. On October 7th, Hamas attacked men, women, and children and killed 14, over 1,400 Jewish people. They took them hostage. And they filmed execution videos and sent them to their families. It was the largest single day of killing of Jewish people since the Holocaust. 4, 000, that's a 4,000-year-old problem, by the way. If you don't know the origins of that, a guy in the Bible, his name is Abraham, all this recorded in Scripture, he has birth with his, he has a child with his, with his wife and with another woman. The child he has with another woman, his name is Ishmael. The child that he has with his wife, his name is Isaac. From those two comes the Christian religion and the Muslim faith, both of these two things. Two sons had two sets of grandkids, 12 grandkids each, but both of them think that they have claim to one covenant. And on October 7th, Hamas, the descendants of Ishmael, attacked um, Israel, the descendants of Isaac, shouting, our God is greater. And if you go, well, none of those facts apply to me, I would just tell you, look around at your own life. Anybody in here have any stress? Anxiety. Depression. Anybody here feel overworked, underpaid, financially in turmoil? You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but marriage shock is rocky. Parenting kids is difficult. You thought it was hard when they were two or three, and now they're 22 and 23, and you have no idea what to do with them. It's a challenge. It's one thing for you to go through it. It's another to watch somebody in your family go through something, and that breaks your heart over and over again. It's difficult when you look at the world around you. And I know some of you guys are going, whoa, Jason, in eight and a half years, this is the most depressing message you have ever said. <laughs> it's going to maybe get a little worse. I'm just going to tell you that. <laughs> but I'm, I promise you there's hope coming at the end, okay? So stay with me. It's important. You're not, you're not going to find as many anecdotes or stories today because I need us to settle into some truth. See, we want to declare a state of emergency, and I don't believe it's us declaring it. I believe it's God declaring it. If you don't know what a state of emergency is, I will tell you. If you look at the dictionary definition, it says a situation of urgent need for help and relief brought about by a natural disaster, an act of terrorism, or another crisis in order to prevent loss, pain, or death. Everything that I just described, there is a reality there is help and relief needed. 
There is a natural disaster of sin that is impacting our world and destroying lives. There is an act of terrorism in that we have an enemy, an adversary named Satan and his demons, and it hates everything. They hate everything that matters to the heart of God, which means they hate you. They hate your marriage. They hate your family because those things matter to the heart of God. There's a crisis, and we are called upon to help prevent loss and pain and death. It is a rally cry, a call to action. Culture around us has always shifted like, like tectonic plates, and if it shifts aggressively, then you start to experience an earthquake, and we see that in our world, in politics, and justice, and hate, and all those other kind of things, issues shifting under our feet, and the question is, how do I follow God in a godless culture? When culture shifts, and it always does, that's not new, there's three common responses that Christians have, and the first one is panic. This world is going to hell! Everything is terrible. It's worse than it's ever been. All those kinds of things. And I understand. But please know this. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. So it's a, it's a guarantee. It's a promise. He also says, take heart, because I have overcome the world. See, it's important for us to know that this is what it's going to be like in a broken, sinful world. So feel things. Let it impact you. But at no point should it create pessimistic Christians. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> at no point should that create in us pessimistic Christians. Concerned? Yes. Heavy-hearted? Absolutely. Hopeless, defeated, and cynical, no way. We have hope in Christ Jesus. We don't panic. We also don't participate. That's the second option that tends to happen. Well, I don't know how to respond to the culture and the world around me. I don't want anybody to get upset with me, so I'm going to conform and blend in. And what ends up happening is there is nothing distinct about how you live your life, and it compels no one towards the gospel. The third thing, and this is where we want to land. We want to be the people of perseverance. Not panic, not participation, but persevere. To live differently, to be set apart. My favorite scripture is Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation for all who believe, first the Jew and then the Gentile. Man, can you just get that in our soul? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is power in that for us. That means no watering down, no lowering the bar. It means we're going to live real and vulnerable and humble. But don't miss this, church. Because we sometimes go real vulnerable and hateful. And it's real vulnerable and humble because I want you to get this. People that looked nothing like Jesus liked being with Jesus. So, people who look nothing like Christians should like being with Christians even though we look different than them. That's what's going to call people to live differently. That's what's going to compel them. That's what compelled them from Christ, is that he didn't panic or participate. He called them to a different life, and it was compelling to them. And so by the Spirit of God, we need to live in a way that people that see our lives are curious about the love of Jesus and the gospel. That's how we should live. That doesn't mean we're not heartbroken. It does mean we're grounded in God's truth. But here's the problem, and I'm going to be honest, and this is we're eat up with it in the church. And that is no matter how many times we attend on a Sunday morning, we know a whole lot more about what's going on in the world than we do what's going on in the Word. Because we spend infinitely more time scrolling and texting and looking at screens than we do staring into the Word of God to know what He has said about anything. So we know everybody else's opinion about all these things, but we have not done the work of seeing what God's Word says about these things. And that's a problem. Because here's what happens. That brings us into a place, even as the church, of confusion, incorrect, and I'll say I've been guilty of these things. Confusion, incorrect emotionally, emotional responses, and even creating division. See, what happens when we don't know the word is that we live in a spirit of fear and weakness and hate. And that is not the spirit that God has called us into. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear or timidity, but of power 
of love and of self-discipline. Many translations will say a sound mind. Not fear, weakness, and hate. Power, love, self-discipline. So how do we do this? I want us to look real quick at, at uh, 1 John chapter 4. That's where I'm going to um, kind of anchor us to today because I think this is going to be important for us and it's going to give us a little bit of a model of how do we live for Christ in a culture that opposes the things of God. And I'll tell you, it's very similar to the world we live in today. John is writing to a people in uh, what is now modern-day Turkey and they're in a crisis of faith. Somebody came through and told them about the truth of God. But they've been persecuted, and they've had different teachers come in. The Gnostics, the Mystics, the Judaizers. I don't have time to unpack all of them. Just know all of them are things that are going to sound a little bit right and lead you straight into the wrong direction. And all these other people came and brought confusing messages in. And so the people of God there that John is writing to are starting to get confused. And so John is going to remind them about the truth and tell them to stand in opposition of, to lovingly push against culture in a way that honors God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so I know this is going to be weird, but I'm just going to jump in. Um, there is the Spirit of God, and there is some evil junk out in the world. You with me, church? When he is saying this, it's very important, is do not just assume that every spiritual experience that you have is from God. You need to test it. How do we test it? Some people go, well, the way I test it is if it just feels right in my heart. Your heart's stupid. <laughs> like a total full-on moron. Don't trust your heart. Your heart is corrupt. So what do we test it again? We test it against his word. We test it against his standard, his precepts, his commands, his laws. We test it is in alignment with God's mission and God's values and God's vision for the world. And is it in alignment with faith-filled, God-honoring people that I trust? That's how I test the spirits. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 says, test all things and hold on to what is good. So you got to know what's good to hold on to it. you got to let go of that junk that is wrong. You need discernment and wisdom in order to do that. Verse 2, this is how you know the Spirit of God. So it's going to give you some great insight. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the who? Okay, now right here, everybody's brain is jumping to movie scenes. And I need to keep you grounded to what the Bible's actually going to tell you about the Antichrist. Because so many people, especially these days, go, when's the Antichrist coming? Is this the Antichrist? Is this person the Antichrist? Is they? And, and listen, I, I don't have an answer to that. Here's what I want to tell you that I don't want you to miss. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now, and even now is what? Already in the world. Okay. You are from God, little children. And you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So let me break this down for you because I don't want us to miss this. What is the spirit of the Antichrist? I'll give you a simple definition. It is going to be things that oppose the true Jesus and offer you a substitute Jesus. It's going to offer you a counterfeit and a lie. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, the substitute Jesus will go, oh, that's one way. But there's some other ways. There's some other things that will fulfill and give your life purpose and meaning and everything. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your relationship. Maybe it's your sex life. Maybe whatever it is. But these are the things that are going to give you value and purpose and meaning. And many of those can be good things. Your, your, your bank account is not inherently evil until it becomes God in your life. And so these are substitutes for the truth. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. See, I don't want us to miss this, church. The devil does not care if you love Jesus as long as the Jesus you love is a make-believe one that can't save you. And he is already in the world today. In here. Never miss this Sunday. We see these all the time. 
But here's what the thing. When you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, that fills me with an ominous feeling. You shouldn't. We do not fear the spirit of the Antichrist. If you notice what it says, it does not tell us to fear. It warns us that it exists, that we live in a world where Satan and his allies and demons are here. But if the indwelling of Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, that makes victory and confidence absolutely in you and powerful and alive in you at every moment. You have spiritual power. So you do have spiritual enemies. You, whether you acknowledge it or not is irrelevant. As a matter of fact, Satan would love for you to discount his existence. Whether you acknowledge it or not, you have spiritual enemies. But church, do not miss this. If you're a believer, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That should have been way more exciting for you this morning. That's, that's, the, first, that's the biggest good news I've given you so far today. Don't miss that. Verse 5. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. We are from God. We are part of God's kingdom. We have an eternal place called home that is heaven, which means I love our country, but this isn't home. This is not. We're waiting for Jesus to return, and while we are waiting, we are ambassadors in a foreign kingdom behind enemy lines in order to be on mission for him. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us, and anyone who, does not, uh, who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of what, church? Verses and the spirit of? Spirit of truth, spirit of deception. See, the spirit of deception is that counterfeit. It's this thing that's going to make you a promise but ultimately leave you empty. See, as a Christian, we are desperate to speak the gospel to the world. We should be desperate to speak the gospel to the world because everyone that hears the spirit of truth has a chance for redemption and those who believe lies are destined to an eternity in hell separate and apart from God. It's supposed to burden us. It's supposed to send us out to go do something that we want people to know the truth. But here's the problem we face in the world today is that the world and the culture has constantly cranked the volume knob on the lies. Satan cranks the volume knob on the lies. All of his adversaries crank the volume knob on the lies. And we've been convinced as a church that the most loving thing we can do is turn the volume down. And what we need to do is crank that joker to 11 and let it blast. We need to crank the volume up on the truth. If we truly believe that people knowing the truth is, difference in the, is the difference between their eternity in heaven and their eternity in hell, we ought to be getting the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ louder than ever. That's our calling. And we don't want to miss that, church. We don't want to miss it. By the way, this is not about dumb people or smart people. Smart people can be deceived. Every single one of them can. The Spirit of Deception, there's several books that kind of uh, have spoken to a lot of this, and there's a lot more meat here I don't have time to get into. But the Spirit of Deception historically um, has used certain methods to mislead the world. I'm going to give you a couple of them real quick. One is separation, where the Spirit of God longs to bring unity to the people of God and to the things of God. The Spirit of Deception seeks to isolate. If you look all throughout Scripture, when you see Joseph get isolated, Daniel get isolated, the disciples get isolated, you bring it into modern culture through social media and things like that. It was supposed to draw us together, drew us into isolation. COVID, all that kind of stuff, put people in isolation. And it, COVID didn't create a problem of isolation. It revealed it. Isolation is a problem because Satan knows that he is going to be able to pick you off better one at a time than if you are in groups. So separation... Second, deconstruct the family. The spirit of deception has always sought to attack families and children. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament. God's like Molech. You sacrifice kids to him. When Moses was born, they, they killed kids to stop the movement of the story of God. When Jesus was born, Herod issued a decree to kill all the, kids, the boys under two to, to, to put an end to them. Always an attack. Today, we see it all the time in divided and hurting families and homes and absent dads and overwhelmed moms that lead people to governments to provide care and protection. And what we need is not more government programs. We need more spirit of truth-filled parents. Separation, the deconstruction of the family, and then indoctrination. I want you to hear this, church. Information is spiritual. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the same information twisted to say two different things. 
That is a spirit of truth and a spirit of deception. We see truth twisted. I'm going to be honest with it. There was a spiritual battle going in the entire list that I read at the beginning of this service because what Satan wanted to do with every one of you was to spin that in one direction or another. When what you need to do is hear it and hear the calling that God has in our life because of it. Information is spiritual. Let me tell you how you can identify a person with a spirit of, of truth versus a person with a spirit of deception. A spirit that will always accompany a spirit of truth is humility. There will always be humility, humility attached to somebody who is seeking truth. That they are open to the reality that, God, I want you to grow me and teach me. I'm willing to learn things. But pride will always be attached to someone who is following a spirit of deception. I'm right. I have all the answers. I know everything. That is always going to follow. See, we have to pay attention to our thoughts because it is actually our thoughts that protect our heart. What you are exposed to around you will lead you to a worldview, and culture always wants to move your worldview away from the truth of God, where God wants to always move you back to the truth of God. And what happens in culture and what happens too often in the church is when the truth of God becomes uncomfortable, we've begun to rebrand God as unloving. Pastor Craig Rochelle always says, people will change what they believe before they change the way they behave. So we have to be careful. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, to this culture, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. So that you may discern what is good and pleasing and the perfect will of God. That word conformed is the Greek word of being pressed into a mold to be shaped into the image that somebody else wants you to look like. I'm not the one that came up with this. This I just want to tell you this. There's two guys. They're not believers necessarily, but Richard Thaler and Cass uh, Sunstein. They, they put this kind of understanding into the world of what's called choice architecture. And choice architecture is where choices are presented to you in a way that forces a desired outcome. In other words, this is a way that culture wants to conform you to its mold by giving you choices where there's no win. For example, and I'm just going to state some of these. You've heard these before. Are you pro-choice or, or do you oppose women's rights? Do you affirm all lifestyles or are you hateful? Are you a socialist or are you a racist? Do you empower women or do you uphold toxic masculinity? Do you hate the police or are you a racist? See, these ways of the architecture behind these is designed to manipulate the outcome. And the problem we fall into is that we believe the outcomes because we live in a world filled with knowledge but completely lacking wisdom. So we have knowledge. We have information coming into us all the time. Informa we got information overload. You've never had more... You, this generation has more access to information than any generation that has ever lived before you. What we don't have is wisdom. How do you navigate the information presented to you how do you discern, is it a spirit of truth or is it a spirit of deception? Which of these two things is it? See, here's a reality. I'm about to blow some people's minds. If you want to email me, that's fine. I can love people of color and people who serve as police officers. I'm not saying that in either case everybody's getting it right, but I can't go into those general terms. I believe firmly in women's rights, and I also have a desire in my heart to see abortion stopped. I can oppose socialism and oppose racism. I can be pro-women and also believe that godly masculinity, which is rooted in servanthood and humility, is a good thing. See, the problem is if you accept culture's categories, you will reach culture's conclusions. So we have to think. See, truth without grace, and this is unfortunate reality of the church, truth without grace is mean. There's a lot of people, they encounter Christians, and they go, those Christians, you know, what'd you learn about them? They're mean. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. It's got no point to it. So you might go, well, Jason, I thought you were getting to some good news. I want to talk to you about how you respond to this. Have we, have we appropriately reached the point where everybody can go, yes, we acknowledge that there is a wreckage of sin in our world. 
Okay, then I want to move to the other part. I want you to look at the response. I'm going to read this directly out of Scripture because I just want you to hear the Word of God, not the words of Jason. In 1 John chapter 4, the next verse, verse 7, I'm going to read from 7 to 21. I know, listen, you come to church all the time, and a lot of times, we just, you, know, you, go to a, you go to a lot of churches, I'm not knocking them, but you put one verse on the screen, and then we talk for 45 minutes. I'm just going to, I'm just going to give you, uh, hold on, this is going to be difficult, 14 straight verses of Scripture that I'm just going to read. Here we go. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. And this is great news. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another and God remains in us and his love is made complete in us, this is how we know that we remain in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, and we have seen and we what? Let's say that with some more power. We what? We testify what the Father has sent his Son as the world is the Savior. Or that the Father has sent his Son as the the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Who would like to be confident in the day of judgment? Yep, me too. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. What he's saying is, what Jesus came into the world to do, we are here to do. The message that he came to proclaim, we came to proclaim. The message that that he was sending out, the gospel that he was putting into the world, that's what we are called to put into the world. For the person who does not love his brother, oh, sorry, uh, I lost my place. Um, Shoot. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. You guys are paying attention. Awesome. (laughs) There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love, I love this, drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister... Can I read that again? If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So I want to tell you what I see from there is our response. I want to move into the revival part of this because I think it's an amazing thing. Like, how do we thrive in and actually become a compelling influence on others for God? How do we thrive in this, in this culture and become a compelling influence on others for God? And I believe that revival is going to be sparked from two things. One is belief and the other is love. If you see in here, everything is predicated on those two things. They must believe in God, honor God, believe his truth, and you got to then let love flow out as a response to that. Belief means this. God is in control. Whatever mess you feel in life, However chaotic it seems to you, God is in control. Whatever's going to happen in the next few months of your life that you don't know is coming, and we have this great fear of the unknown, God is in control. In, I know this is going to be a, a scary place to, to walk for some, but in an election year, and I'm not discounting this, I'm not telling you you shouldn't vote, I, you absolutely should vote. What I'm telling you is that God is also in control of whoever's in control. So whether your person wins or loses, whether it's red or blue or purple, doesn't matter. God is going to be in control of whoever is in control. God is in control of the person in control in your school. God is in control of the person that is in control in your workplace. God is in control of the person that is in control, period. That is something that we have to understand and believe. God is in control. Now some people go, well, if God's in control, I can do whatever I want. God's in control of my marriage. I don't got to put any work in. Nope, that's just lazy. You got to go to work. You got to show up. 
You've got to take responsibility. You've got to put some work in. That's what a spirit of truth is compelling you to do. Trust God. Believe in him. The second part is love. See, God still, and this, I know this is coming to the end of my message. I just want you guys to please do not miss this truth. God still loves the culture even though the culture does not acknowledge him. Love requires a mission. You ever thought about that? No matter how insignificant or silly the love is, if you love a certain brand of potato chips, at some point, probably during the holidays, or whatever it is for you, ice cream, candy, you, don't lie to me, I know most of y'all did the same thing I did, at some point, you got a hankering for something, and you went to go find it. And because you love it, you went on a mission. It compelled you on a mission. And if you didn't find it at the first Walmart you went to, you went to another one. And you stopped at Tom Thumb or Target or wherever. You had to go on hunt. I see people right now that are married that are going. Because I don't know what it is for you, but it was something. Okay? Love sends you on a mission. I love queso. Okay? And in love for 48 years, God has sent me scouring the earth for the perfect queso. When I... When I locked hearts with Crystal, when I made a covenant before God with her, it sent us on a mission. It has been a bumpy ride because we're both broken, but it sent us on a mission to love each other and to love God and to put that into the world and be on mission for him. When our kids came into our life, that sent us on a mission. No matter what it is, when you love something, love will always compel you onto a mission. God's love convinces us of something. And then what's beautiful is what happens is our love then begins to convince the world of something else. See, as God pours his love into us and I pour my love into the world, what they start to get convinced of is that God loves them. God's love convinces me of something and our love to the world convinces them of the love of God. And the love of God does not simply mean that God can save. And it does not simply mean that God can redeem. And it does not simply mean that God can use somebody. The love of God means that God can save you. The love of God is so specific, it means God can redeem you. And whether you believe this or not, it means God can use you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord. And by his vast strength, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil and spiritual forces in the heavens. He says, I want you to be strengthened by the Lord. Your strength does not come from culture or headlines or clickbait or any of those things. Those are unstable things to stand on. You stand on the spirit of truth and that will, pray, that will cause you to pray for the conflict of our world to end and for God's justice to always be done. But he also says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, which means this, the enemy is not our culture. Our culture is held captive by that enemy. So when you're tempted, when I'm tempted, hear me, church, when we're tempted to be divisive, mean-spirited, or hateful to anyone. We need to remember this. Look dead across at whoever you're looking at and remember Jesus went to the cross for them too. Now they may at that moment of their life be a person that is acting like they have weight and chains on them. It's probably because they do. And guess what? If you didn't have the freedom of Christ, you'd probably act the exact same way. So tell them the gospel. See, here's the thing that I want us to understand. If you are work at a hostile work environment, you go to class in a class that you can't stand, you live in a neighborhood that you wish God would move you out of, I'm not saying that God can, I'm not saying that he won't. I'm just asking you to consider an option for a minute. Maybe the reason that God has not escalated you up the ladder of success in your, in your company is not because God doesn't want to move you up. Maybe it's because he's got something for you to do right where you are. Maybe the reason that you got stuck in that class at school and all of your friends are in a different one is not because God hates you and doesn't want you to be around your friends. It's because God put you on mission in the middle of a bunch of lost people that need to see the light in the life of Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you're in the neighborhood that you are in, and it's changed around you, sure, and maybe you're looking for another opportunity, but maybe right now that opportunity hasn't happened, and it's not because God isn't a fan of helping your family feel blessed. It's because God has put you as a blessing right where you are. Just consider it for a moment, that God's put you there for a reason. That it's an, instead of seeing all of those things as a challenge in your life, what if you looked at them as an opportunity? What if you looked at it as a rally cry in your life? And go, well, what am I supposed to rally around? First Peter 3, 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to everlasting life. That's why you're there. But here's the deal. Don't miss this. What God creates, Satan counterfeits. What God builds, Satan breaks. If God, and he did, gave us Dr. Pepper, Satan gave us Dr. Thunder. That's the way it works. <laughs> I need you to hear this, because this is a, the broken view of the spirit of deception. The enemy is not the people around you. The enemy is not people with different political views or lifestyles or Muslims or Hamas or any of those. I'm not saying, I'm not claiming they're all good. Don't misunderstand me. The problem is not them. It's the spirit of deception behind them. It's a spiritual war that's being waged. Ephesians 6.18 says, Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And some people go, Well, Jason, are we in the last days? It's getting worse. Is it, is it almost over? I don't know. Here's what I can tell you. We're closer than yesterday. I promise that. I don't know. I do know the two most important events in human history is that Jesus showed up as a baby in Bethlehem and the second will be that he returns and everything that we know is put right. The next time he shows up, he won't show up as a baby. He'll show up and he'll end the war forever. He'll eradicate evil. He'll undo death and injustice and he will wipe every tear from every eye. And until then, we have a mission if you're still breathing, if there's a pulse in your body, there is a rally cry that God has put on your life. He is trying to get your attention. Because right now, the door of salvation for everybody is wide open. One day, it will close. Whether it is because you died and left this world, or because Jesus returned and this world got wrapped up and is done but one way or another, there's going to come a time when that door is going to be shut. And you are the people that are saved and the people that are on a mission with the gospel to tell other people how to be saved. That's what we're supposed to be doing in the meantime. In other words, it looks like this. I heard this pastor, I don't remember which pastor said it, I'd give him credit for it, but I love the illustration he gave. He said this. Um, I'll use an example from my life. I, I love basketball. Uh, I am not a classical uh, uh, athlete. Uh, in other words, I'm bad at basketball. Uh, but I, I like basketball. I don't, I don't so much like to watch it as I like to play. I love to play it. Um, and then um, a few years ago in my life, uh, stuff started happening. And that is every time I played basketball, uh, things hurt for weeks. And uh, so I, I don't like playing basketball as much anymore. But I want you to imagine several years ago in my life, when I was a little bit younger. Uh, I, I was always great at defense, not a great shooter. Um, and I played basketball for a lot of time growing up. Uh, I know that's a shock to some of you. Football was my big sport. But just imagine this. I want you to imagine that I'm, I'm a basketball player. And one day, LeBron James comes to me. Uh, I, I, very realistic. Just go with me. Uh, so um, LeBron James comes to me and says, Jason, you're okay. You're not great. But here's the deal. I'm going to go away for about a year. When I come back... I'm putting you on my team. What do you think I'd spend that year doing? As you kids these days would say, I'd be in the lab every day. I'd be in there with, like everybody under 25 went, he's so silly. Um, and everybody over 25 went, I don't know what that means. Uh, so I would be out there every day working on my game, dribbling, shooting, passing. I'd get other people out there. I would work 365 straight days, every day, all day, trying to be everything that I can be. So when LeBron comes back, I'm ready to join the team. When you were saved, God said, I'm leaving you here on a mission. And I'm coming back one day. And while I am away, I need you in the lab every day. I need you working. I need you sharing. I need you discipled. I need you growing. I need you sharing my gospel with the rest of the world. And that's what we should be doing every single day. If you don't believe me, I want to ask you to believe Jesus. I'm going to close by reading 
a passage of scripture so you can hear this not in my words but in his. The worship team can head up as I do this. Matthew chapter 24 starting in verse 3. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us, when will all these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Do not buy into a spirit of deception. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. And they will deceive many. And you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. that check out for anybody? See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place but the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom there will be famines and earthquakes in various places and all these events are the beginning of labor pains then you will be handed over and be persecuted and they will kill you and you will be hated by all the nations because of my name you will be hated by all the nations because of my name and many will fall away betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawless will, the lawless will multiply and the love of many will grow cold but 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 the one who endures to the end will be saved this good news of the kingdom. This is the rally cry, church. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. What he says is that God does not want you to be alarmed. He wants you to be alert. It's a rally cry. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word today. I pray that in no way, God, I have been confusing for anyone. And if so, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would clear up and clean up anything that I might have said that might have misled anybody. God, we want to right now just trust this moment to you and to your Holy Spirit. My hope and my prayer for this, uh, this day, this Sunday, has been that this would be a moment of inspiration for our church that we would be heavy-hearted about the reality of the world that we live in, but God, we would be delighted and excited about the mission you've called us to. And I pray that every single person in every single seat in this room and every person watching online is compelled to join this mission. Not to grow crossroads, but God, to grow the kingdom. And we know that's not our work, it's your work. We are called to be faithful, and it is the Lord that adds to their number daily those who are being saved. God, we just want to be faithful to you. God, I pray, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be preachery. I don't want us to be churchy. I want us to be real, authentic, humble followers of Christ that are honest about our struggles and compelled and excited about the mission that we're called to be on. God, please do not let us be a room full of fakers. God, let us be real and let our passion and excitement for your mission be real. It is for your name, your sake, your glory, your kingdom, your honor that we do all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.